We have like we have 60 kids. I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. Before we get started, I wanted to thank everyone for the response last month to having not one but two podcasts. As you know, we drop a new show on the first day of each month. But because of what has been happening in Ukraine, we added a second show in the middle of March with Alina Bushma, the Drexel squash hero who's from Kiev. We hope that it has helped in a really tiny way spread the news about how the war is affecting the squash community there. Now, this April, we have Peter Nickel and Jess Winstanley. They are one of the most prominent squash power couples in the game. Peter was ranked world number one for 60 months. He was a world champion, Commonwealth Games gold medalist. And his wife, Jess, is a dynamic leader doing business development, event, event management, and summer camp director. Jess's mother, of course, is Melissa Winstanley. You can learn more about her in episode 49. And I think Jess and Peter first met at one of the major squash events that Melissa helps produce, the Tournament of Champions at Grand Central. It was, for squash, maybe the ultimate romantic meet-cute. Anyway, last September, Jess and Peter opened Nickel Squash, a four-court facility on 42nd Street and 10th Avenue in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan. And here today, you'll learn about the clubs they grew up at in Scotland and Canada, clubs that they've admired around the world, and what they've been trying to achieve with their new club in New York City. Scotland, for me, um, was this, it was this club that was created out of a small two-court tennis club complex that my parents and three or four other parents um, looked after and maintained. Um, and when I say a tennis club, I mean, there's a hut and two courts. <clears throat> and then squash was booming in the, the UK and, and all over the UK. And they built six courts, uh, a bar, lounge area, a lounge area for kids outside with games. So all of a sudden there was this hub um, for the local community to come play sports and also just to hang out. And socialize. So for me, that's that was something I remember so well. Like just wanting to go there. There were thirty to forty kids playing regularly, so there was a whole bunch of different age age ranges. So I'd be when I first started. Obviously, I'd be with the eight, nine, ten year olds, and then as I got a little bit better, when I was eleven, twelve, I was mixing between my age category and also eighteen, nineteen year olds who were there playing in parks, and then adults and adult leagues, and then. But there was also this this adult area in the bar, and then there was a junior area. So we could just really socialize, do our homework, hang out, play and practice, jump back on court when we could, and just generally have this area that we were comfortable and safe and that was really enjoyable through the cold, dark, wet winters of Scotland, um, which there were numerous. And um then from there, when I started well, playing, so back just back to the club a little bit. Like, was it where was it? Was it in 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 Aberdeen or where? where... No, we were in a small town called Inverurie, which had ten thousand people. Mm. And the interesting fact back then, squash was so popular that there were a thousand members of this club. There were a thousand people on the wait list, so twenty percent of the town wanted to be <laughs> part of this this club. Um, there was not much else to do, so to speak, um, and I think that was. It was a huge uh, attraction for everyone. It was mm. socially for parents as well, and for for any 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 adult. But for parents, it was just this great place to come, do right. something healthy, socialize with with friends, make friends, and then your kids could do the same, uh, whilst also learning a, a great sport. 
were there a lot of uh, other things to do at that club or was it basically like if the weather was nice, you could play tennis, but otherwise it was just sort of squash. There wasn't sort of fitness or, or, uh, you know, yoga or Pilates, like what, what else was going on at the club? Was it just basically the squash? Just squash. Yeah. Um, there might've been a stationary bike here or there. And maybe as we, it went through the years that they put a few more pieces of gym equipment in, mm-hmm. um, but it was minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennis was on uh, No, uh, not really. Um, mm-hmm. It was all, all it was all based around a community and people helping. And it was certainly back in the day, and in, in certainly in, in Scotland, when you know um, people from the community who played then also ran junior programs mm-hmm. and helped and supported. And uh, I remember vividly this. Uh, wonderful man dave duggan who was the, the club champion for a few years and when i was coming through he'd play me once a week now at the start when i was 11 12 mm. he would make the game and make it hard and give me that chance to play him and then obviously through the years i started to get better until he was playing full out and we were having close games and then i was beating him but just i mean that type of atmosphere where he was willing to give up his time to work with uh work with all the all the players mm. and with us along with um, you know other other parents and people who would give time my, my, my parents and especially my dad was was a big part of that as well helping both my sister and I mm. and then other players uh, and then a bunch of other people who were just amazing who would be willing to do that right and so, so it was yeah a real, it was a very, real community I mean could you walk there from your house like how how was it in was it in the town or in or was it sort of you know were you biking there how did you get there I would bike there or we'd all go up in the car after school. So we'd finish school and then you know come home and then we'd get out in the car and go up. And right. uh, it was only a mile away. So, you know, and, and you, you went straight through the center of town when it was 10,000 10, person town. So it's not exactly yeah. large. <laughs> um, so it was easy to get to. And, and we kind of knew everyone there as well, obviously, because it's a small town. Yeah, that's it. That's really, uh, that's pretty un- unusual to, to have a... Um a community like that, you know, that's sort of basically centered around the, the squash club. Yes. Um, and I think because it was so squash centric, I think that's also probably why it failed. Um, not long after I left to be a pro player, because I mean, the, the boom had busted and there wasn't enough there. It wasn't being managed properly either. So there was a mixture of things, but it was just a bit too singularly focused and it needed to diversify, which mm-hmm. I think probably leads into uh, in a good way, like the, where Jess grew up and played um, different sports at. Yeah, it was totally diversified. I grew up at the Granite Club in Toronto. And I mean, it was similar, really sort of the same experience that you had, Peter, except for we had like a million things to do. Um, We too, my brother and I would ride our bikes generally after school. I mean, I remember going there literally every single day after school. That was our, our life. My mom at the time... Um, who's, who has been on this podcast, which I love. Um, she was managing the tour at the WPSA World Professional Squash Association, the hardball tour back then, and was super involved in squash. My whole family would, I mean, my mom and dad played squash all the time. Um, I mean, I remember as a kid, we would do whatever program we were doing, whatever sport that we chose, and then we would just mess around for the rest of the day. Yeah. Uh, I remember the curlers we would go up to the the curling hall and just giggle and make fun of those curlers like all night long with their like shushing and their noises and um and then then, look at them now right like they're all getting gold medals in the olympics i know it's amazing 
So, it's one of our sons, Bodie's uh, favorite sports to watch in the Winter Olympics. He'd watch oh, yeah. curling all day, every day. Oh, it's it's just, fascinating. It's hilarious. Um, and like my parents would come after work and they would play squash and then we would have like a family dinner there or go home. So yeah, the Granite Club, I think it's an interesting point that you bring up, Peter, whereas like your club was so tunnel vision um, and the Granite Club is like still flourishing um, and has so many options. But you know, bringing it back to where we are now in New York City, it, it's it's interesting in that the Granite Club really could never exist in New York City. I mean, membership would be like $1 million. Um, it was just so huge. But what did the Granite Club have? Like, what were the, you know, how many squash courts or what, what, what was there besides curling? Oh my gosh, they have everything. I mean, there's, I don't remember the number of squash courts. Jim, Jim Patton is this wonderful guy who still manages the, the squash program. And he was there when I was there. Mm. Um, but you know, probably a dozen and then they have Olympic size swimming pool. Um, and then another smaller training pool, the full figure skating rink, bowling alley, tennis courts, indoor, outdoor badminton. badminton. I was super into badminton. I mean, they just have everything. And then as you had Peter, there's like a kid sort of snack bar where I delighted on cinnamon toast and rice pudding. And then there was an adult bar, like a private adult bar that, you know, we would jump up on each other's shoulders to look in the little window <laughs> what those weird adults were doing privately. Um, yeah, no, it was just like heaven. Well, it, it, it's interesting. You guys grew up sort of diametrically opposed uh, clubs, um, you know, like the big urban club and then the small village club. But they both had one thing in common which was that community mm. great atmosphere and feel yeah. uh, welcoming nature that you want to just go and be there yeah um and i think that's the that's what where we're coming from that's what we always want to feel like we are we're, we're sending out and making people feel like it's a good vibe good energy and there's a community we're caring yeah that's really been like our our sort of tying force with what we're trying to achieve and what we what we do together in our work is just again, recreating that sense of community and care for each other um, from the top down. So yeah, it's, I agree with you, Peter, it's pretty similar. And I know Peter, you and I talked, I remember this sort of four or five years ago, um, we talked about the demise of, of your club. Um, and and it, it wasn't that the community wasn't there, but it's it, it somehow there, there has to be sort of this almost like a magical mix of, of, uh, factors that, that sustains a club. And so what, what, what was, what was missing there? What, what was, was there the fact that there wasn't a pro or was it a, um, that they needed to expand the offerings or were, were people Aberdeen's sort of nearby, right? So were people just driving into Aberdeen to do whatever they wanted to do health wise? I think there was a bunch of reasons. Um, there was definitely mismanagement it went through a couple of different managers who, um, uh, uh, didn't necessarily look after the, the club in the correct way. Um, that put them into debt. They built a, a, a sixth court. Uh, there were five courts. They built a show six court that they took on debt for that then added to that stress and pressure just as numbers were tailing off. Aerobics came, came up strongly just at that time. And then there was also the gym culture. Mm -hmm. uh, all of these things happened around the same time. People were willing to travel more uh, into Aberdeen. Like when I grew up, Aberdeen was... 12 miles away, 40 miles away, but people there, it was, a, it was, you didn't really go there. You maybe went to work, but to go there for anything social would be a long way, mm. um, which I know now living in the U S is um, crazy. I'll travel, I'll travel three, four hours without thinking about it now. Um, 
but I think there's a whole bunch of reasons that caused that to happen. And it was so, it was so sad because the club could have survived and flourished as uh, for what it with what it was with a couple of minor tweaks mm. um, and a better management system. Mm. Um, mm. But once it had gone, it was very hard to, to get that back because uh, everyone had so many other options by that point and they already got into other options and then they weren't going to come back. And, you yeah. know, well, this is like a key question about, you know, all around the world is, is the demise of these, smaller clubs um you know australia has seen this uh the these sort of you know uh, a bar and a couple club uh, a couple courts clubs right and um you know the fact that well you could squeeze a lot more people in to the same space right you, you're only getting two two people uh in that in that cubic footage so um that's interesting yeah yeah i think it it, it relies on and the is something we're working on we rely on expanding and building enough uh, facilities i think to then be able to maintain um that the feel the energy the focus of what what you're offering in those spaces right and and not being just an owner operator that when your life cycle is done that it will be taken over and knocked down in other offices or well, not anymore, but it's something else that would have a higher footfall um, would then replace it. So that's what we're working towards um, so that it goes on long after our lifetime of being involved. That would be the ideal scenario. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you guys have traveled, both of you guys have traveled a lot and, and um, were there were, was there sort of a club that you spent time at or played a tournament at or visited that you said wow like this is kind of the way they're doing it here is the way I would love to do it if I ever owned a club Paderborn Paderborn is one I used to play German league at Paderborn and the way that the ecosystem that they have and the, the familial feel and just the community spirit that's there um certainly very special and that also, it kind of comes from his Ahorn Sports Park, which was um, owned by the Siemens family who had a factory there and a business, uh, their offices there. So it, it became a, it was a hub for the whole of the Paderborn community. Mm. And then the squash community built out of that and they've kept that same feel. Yeah. And then other places, a uh, bunch of different places in, in the Netherlands. I think that's something we've looked at closely because they've managed to sustain the levels of participation when other European countries have, have tailed away mm -hmm. and they have huge complexes, but yep. their yep. model is very much like I'm, I'm Jess, myself and Bodhi book a court every 7.30 every Tuesday and we go play or there's you know six of us and it's a social thing and with my right. friends and we do that every week and if I can't make it, the other people can and it's not onerous to book the court in terms of cost. So mm -hmm. you're happy to pay for it for the year round and that then is another model I think that works really well uh, because there's not that real hardcore commitment of being a member and having to come three, four times a week. Otherwise it's not that it's not valuable enough um, and worth the, worth the spend. So I mean, personally I've looked at uh, and felt obviously over 40 years, a lot of different spaces. And I think what we're trying to do is blend a bunch of those characteristics together to come to a space that is then very much us. Yeah, I think exactly what what our aim is through those experiences is basically to provide the easiest 
and most accessible way for someone to get on court. Um, so like a paper play option. Um, and then also with experiencing that high level of care and community and energy that we've both experienced at various places. Yeah. Yeah. So tell, tell me about the history of the club and, and how it got started and, and um, how a lot of it, all that's been happening during the pandemic. Um, how did it all get generated and, and how did you end up in Hell's Kitchen with a, a four court club? So someone reached out to us, uh, must've been a couple of years ago now, um, and basically said that they'd looked up and seen our name somewhere and, and thought that it'd be a great, we'd be uh, the right people to, to come and open a squash center in the, a spot that they had. Mm. Um, they were interested in doing it um, because of uh, personal connection in the world of squash. And they basically said, if you know, you could, we would love for, for you to come in and, and be the owner operator of this, this space. So obviously it was, well, not obviously, but as you said, during the pandemic, it was right before the pandemic and then it was all happening during the pandemic. So it was a really uh, <laughs> tough period to get anything done, um, especially to, to, to build a new squash center. But the space itself, um, it's, it's glass frontage, store uh, ground level uh, on 42nd Street in Manhattan, which is unheard of. The space itself is a big open box. It's, it's an MTA easement. So there's no, there are no columns. So it was so perfect. Does that mean that, this sub, that, that they were going to have something related to the subway there or? Correct. And then what happened was the, the 42nd Street uh, Port Authority is two blocks away. And then they built a brand new station six blocks south in uh, Hudson Yards. Right. So basically, there it wouldn't. There's no need for it to. I think it would have been the seven. The seven, just going across on Forty Second. Yeah. Yeah, and then so then there was no real need because they're going from like seven goes up kind of south and Forty Second when you go to right. Port Authority and then goes straight to Thirty Six. So they would have, they would have to come up and then round, which I don't think will ever happen personally. Now, mm. um, so then they basically decided that they wanted to rent it out and rent it out longer term mm. um, because it was possible, and that's basically. That's basically it. And we looked at it, we saw it, we thought this would be perfect for squash courts because of the double height, plus double height and a bit, ceilings, no, uh, no columns, and it was just an open box. I mean, no columns and, is, is pretty amazing, right? Yeah, the space is just made for it. Um, and I remember we did initial plans we teamed up with this great um, architect team that did some spaces that we really respected. We were um, going for a, like a boutique fitness um, vibe. I don't know if you're familiar with like some of the NYC brands in terms of boutique fitness, but basically the spaces are very clearly the brand that you are walking into. So, um, you know, from feel, from color palette, obviously, and then also design. And so we first had, the first iteration of the space was to include a mezzanine. But then of course, with COVID, everything started changing so quickly and the cost of steel became outrageous. And so we had to quickly scrap the mezzanine and like redo that entire ground floor space and within a very short period of time. And we ended up only having uh, three months for the build. Um, and another what's, interesting what's the square footage yes of the whole 
space? Five 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 thousand five hundred. And so um, the mezzanine was going to help <clears throat> sort of expand the that you know having having more space. Wow. Yes, we needed to have. Um, we for our junior program, we need a functional training space, and so um, we we really needed to have additional floor space. And at the time, we had you know a full suite of locker rooms, and then the upstairs would be the functional training space, which we also liked in terms of viewing, because um, yeah. obviously we're we're well associated with the TOC, and so hosting events like that. Um, yeah. You know, we wanted to be able to have that that viewing space. So we scrapped it and instead recognized that we could put in bleacher seating whenever required and did the functional training space on the on the ground. Um, and then, um, yeah, as I, as I was touching upon earlier, like the really interesting thing, I think, looking back is that the space was so perfect, Jim. And as I'm sure, you know, like real estate wise in New York City, that's just a dime a dozen. And so we went for it without even knowing the area. I had never been to Hell's Kitchen and I have lived in New York City for eight years. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know, have you been up there? No. It was like, and I remember we had like a coffee at Starbucks after we we had already signed and, um, and saw it and everything like that. And uh, just being like, oh, wow, like this is an interesting area. I wonder what this is gonna be like. And, you know, our our focus to date has, has solely been on our junior program. And so we, you know, we had um, obviously felt very grateful and only had this opportunity really because our junior program and, and knowing that, that they would come into this new space, new location, even though it might be an inconvenient location to them, especially for our Upper East Siders. Mm -hmm. um, but we went for it. And then my, my conclusion is that it has been a joy to be in that new neighborhood that we otherwise had not known. And the fact that we have this street street front glass frontage scenario, we have folks coming in every single day, either like, oh, what is this? Or, you know, the other side, man, I haven't played for 10 years. This is so mm. cool. I'm going to get back into it because it's super residential. Yep. That whole Hell's Kitchen area. And then there's also a bunch of you know, it, I think it's just a really nice mix of backgrounds that are located there. Um, like Hell's Kitchen has had a ton of gentrification like everywhere around the NYC area over the last couple of years. But I think that that there just remains a really nice mix of people and we get mm. exposure to to most of them, which has been if you guys didn't do a big like study of the area and, you know, Zero. strategize. You're just like, this is great. This, this site is too amazing. We got to do it. Well, we knew though that like our junior program again is what gave us the opportunity to be mm. able to do this. And then we knew that the adults would be brand new for us. Right. And so, yeah. you know, the, and that has been the greatest unknown to us. And that has been really fun to develop because it's new. Um, and so I, I think that we didn't necessarily even have to, it was more just like, like, you know, the cherry on top to be yeah. able yeah. to be in that residential area and to be exposed to so many different adults in the area as yeah. we developed our adult program. And the wonderful thing about the adults that we're working with, they, I mean, I think the majority, if not nine, like, nearly all, um, are people who weren't playing in New York City. Right. Yeah, that's really mm -hmm. our target. And for that adults. was that was really neat. It meant that, you know, the, the players who were currently playing wherever continued to do that. And we're just getting people off the street who, again, like Jess said, either knew of the sport, had no idea, um, or were coming, really coming back to it. Right. And 
it was really neat to see that and see how many squash players there kind of are out there um, and who wanted to come in and try it. We've also done something really uh, different with the adult program in terms of creating classes for them. And the classes are very different to a clinic as such. It's very much about um, getting a workout and learning a sport at the same time. So Mm -hmm. with those classes, we get a lot of beginners coming in um, who get a great workout and also get to learn a little bit about a new sport. Yeah. And then at the same time, we have a pretty good group of like intermediate advanced, like, you know, four, five, five, oh players who come to the class and, and get the same experience, whereas they're getting a, a killer workout and it's, it's basically formatted. Um, we wanted to make it like, again, as easy and accessible for anyone to understand what experience they would receive because, you know, we receive a lot of feedback from adults that obviously they, um, you know, we all experience this in squash. They have some preconceived notion about the sport that it's generally an elitist sport and they feel like it's not for them. And so the class concept was to try and, and solve that issue. Whereas most New Yorkers know what a boutique fitness class is. It's, you know, generally 45 minutes long. There's a set format, you know, what you're generally doing in advance to the class it's themed. And we tried to basically recreate that type of experience in a squash specific way. Um, which as Peter mentioned, is, has just been like a really, a really big hit with beginners, uh, which is a big area we're focused on, um, as well as, as existing players. And then our, our format with regards to adults and membership is you can join and then you have no court fees or alternatively, you can just do pay per play and Mm -hmm. the squash classes are all drop in and the members just get a discount. So what's naturally progressed is that our members tend to be people who are pre-existing squash players. And, um, you know, they're the ones who are championing the box league and play in our New York city league teams and so on and so forth. Whereas our pay-per-play folks, um, are those people that we really, you know, we're, we're hoping to get on court and they're new to the sport and they, are doing a bunch of other boutique fitness classes or other fitness experiences, but they're also throwing squash in. Right. And whether or not they decide to, you know, really prioritize squash in their lives and therefore it makes more economical sense for them to join will be, I think, like the next progression with regards to our understanding of the evolution of the adult squash player in our area. Right. And when we say affordable to join, I mean, it's incredibly affordable period, especially with no court fees. Yeah. So, well, that's, that's a dynamic, you know, I, um, uh, you know, talked to Harry Saint and, you know, 50 years ago, he was trying to figure this out of like, how do you have squash courts in Manhattan? You know, one of the most insane real estate markets in, in, in the world. And, and, um, you know, it's a real balance of, of, uh, of, you know, having enough, going on and, and having enough, uh, you know, income to, to pay for it. But it's also such an interesting time because obviously with COVID, you know, retail is on the decline and we are with a, um, a landlord partner who really invests in their, in their boutique retail spaces and with amenity based experiences. Right. Um, and so, 
you know, I'm very curious if this is, you know, the rise in New York City and if more places like this will open up. Obviously, we have plans to to be amongst those folks who will open up other locations. Um, but because there will be more financial opportunity to get that price down to make it more accessible for something like a squash club to exist. Right. Is is um uh is that a, a thought of sort of you know ha replicating this somewhere else in manhattan or somewhere else in in the u.s or or what where where are the where's the future looking yeah for sure um i think for now we're really focusing on our current location and creating the systems and understanding exactly the product we're mm. offering yep. and then once that's that's been done then absolutely manhattan first uh, other uh, other parts of the tri-state area close by and then other parts of the country for sure um in particular i'd like to you know not not a, not within the next five years but thereafter look at california i think that there's been wonderful rise in squash in california um i'm also obsessed with surfing and skiing so that's obviously a nice place for me to be <laughs> um and uh and anyways, it might time nicely with our son Bodhi, you know, wanting to uh, experience the, the West Coast life, but we'll right. see. Right. Well, you, you guys have been a part of um, uh, uh, new new facilities in Providence and, and in Manhattan as well. Like what what did what did you learn from those experiences in, in terms of, you know, how you run a club, maybe in particular about building community, about making it sticky so the the people want to come back and, and and they fall in love not just with the sport but you know with the the club they want they want to come and, and hang out the way both you guys sort of you know hung out at, at your club when you were growing up yeah i think it's um it was a lot of a lot of lessons learned um along the way and i think until you actually start doing it yourself it's it's difficult to fully understand um what you really want it to look like and feel like. And mm. I think those experiences helped hone um, our vision for what we wanted our home to look like and feel like, and for people to what people will, will experience when they come in the door. And um, that would be, that'd be the thing that really um, I took away from those experiences or was really understanding exactly how I want people to feel when they, when they walk in the door. Um, of our own facility. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it it definitely gave us a wonderful opportunity of of trying different things and um, failing at many, and and just further understanding exactly what you said, Peter. Like what we want people to feel like when they walk in our doors, and um, it was very important to us increasingly to be able to provide that environment, which. Um, you know, having those two experiences and, and a few additional experiences um, really only gave us that full understanding of, of what we want them to feel. And then for us to understand that we need to go and do that by ourselves independently, mm. um, because it's very much our feel and it's our brand. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that it was mostly the feel. And then the second thing I would say is the team and creating the vision and then all getting behind that vision um, with a unified sense of moving forward. The, you know, the, the team is really important to us. Uh, we've been with 
Jamal calendar since we moved across to the States. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a huge part of our program. Our, our junior program, again, is really our, our signature experience. And, um, and he has been a big and huge part um, of creating that, that vision and executing it together as a team. And then also the remainder of our team and, and building that front of house experience. Uh, so, so yeah, my second one would be team. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I, you know, I haven't been in the, in, in the club yet, but it, it, you know, when you walk in there, what, what, what were you trying to have them feel? Was it sort of like a welcoming cozy experience or like exciting or, you know, what, what was the emotions you were trying to. Um, Energy, uh, care, and community. And, and then the overall is good vibes. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. Like you walk in, music is a big part of our experience. Um, it's a really brightly lit open space. I think um, those two things, bright open, were a very important part of the aesthetic for us. We pump great tunes. Um, and so what, what, let, let's talk about the music. Like what is, what's on the playlist? Depends what time you come what's, in. What's not on the playlist? Uh, as you can imagine, <laughs> explicit tunes. Um, sometimes we've got to rein it in with Jamal a little bit. Uh, it, but it, like the iPad is out as well in our functional space. So when the kids come in, they take it over. And mm -hmm. like they put on tunes, which we encourage. <laughs> and we have a ping pong table set up. We have cornhole. Um, we're working on an arcade, <laughs> like an old Miss Pac-Man. Um, so yeah, we just really want people to come in and, and feel that energy, feel those good vibes and feel comfortable. You want to add yeah, I, just, I just think when you walk in the door, there's double doors from 42nd street, it's all glass. You see court one and court two immediately on your right. So you can see anyone that's playing or coaching or playing or, or doing anything there, the front desk in front of you. And then there's a bar area around the front desk. So if there's a coach or someone not, not actually on court, they're generally going to be sitting around there talking. So you're immediately able to greet and talk to absolutely everyone that comes in. Yeah. You can also see what's going on. Um, if they want to have a quick game of squash, they can be in and out in 46 minutes, you know, in change yeah. of shoes for 30 seconds, play, change your shoes back off and you're on the street again in 46 minutes. So it's super easy. Um, a lot of people talked about the fact that when they walk in, obviously it's, it's not, they're not trying to find the courts in a, in a big, big residential building or something that you have to try and go up to the sixth floor and then go around through a corridor or whatever. It's like, it's just, it's just a very different experience and feel. Um, yeah. Than, than I've experienced. Um, yeah. And almost, and again, maybe I go back to the, um, some of the experience I talk about in Europe, um, Paderborn and and then also the the a lot of complexes in, in Holland, mm. they're just very open, and you walk in and you see courts in front of you, and the the bar lounge area is there, and it opens up into squash courts, and everything's kind of just open and accessible, and you can see everything that's going on. Yeah, and I can't wait, for example, for the weather to warm, um, where we can actually open our doors again during the day, because I think that we see a number of people during the day, in particular during the day when things are more slow um, and they're staring at the inside, wondering what is this place? And right. Right. we, in our experience, when those people make the move to open the door and walk in and talk to us, even though they may have that pre preconceived elitist notion of the game, they understand very quickly that it is a comfortable and safe space for them to come and try this if they're interested. Whereas, you know, I think that we still are battling uh, with that 
amongst the folks who walk by clearly are interested because they're staring, but they don't take that move to open the door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, that, that's the, uh, the Metro squash, uh, facility in Chicago is so great as well. Cause you know, it has the, the, the front wall, um, facing out onto the street and, and symbolically, you know, having courts that accessible, like what you have is so important because we, we have been sort of stuck away in the, in the nooks and crannies, um, you know, uh, uh, hidden away from, from the public and, uh, so symbolically, that's that's a real big change. Totally. And it's um, it's great and probably also tough for us because we've now recognized that it's an essential part of our business model to have that that street front glass frontage. Um, so, yeah. So when when we're ready for the, you know, the future locations, which won't be for another year and a half, um, that's our uphill battle. Yeah, that's your that's your brand now. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's funny, I, you know, going to Squash City um, uh, in, in, in Amsterdam and, you know, the bar is sort of at the heart of the club and then and then in a spoke uh, in wheel sort of structure, you know, the courts are, are out there and you can you can stand at the bar and watch seven or eight courts, um, you know, without it, without having to move a muscle. Um, and uh, and that sort of openness, I think, is uh, is, you know, just a real revolutionary sort of you know change from from what we've had before totally and we have that bar space that's overlooking the four courts with plenty of seating it's an l-shaped it's attached to the reception area it's just awesome but we don't have the license mm. <laughs> so that's that's one of our things that we just can't wait for is to get our liquor license so we can create that environment whereas people you know yeah. come and chill and, and grab a beer after they play and right and get to know the other folks that are there it's almost Another like we, we have this, sorry, Peter, we have this like dynamic of like, you know, uh, uh, people wanting the workout, right? And like everybody's always loved squash because it is a very good workout in a short time. And at the same time, we want community, which is like, you know, hanging out and not, you know, not doing anything that's perfect for your body, but just like being a part of a community. Um, the way you guys hung out at, at your clubs growing up. So like, how do you balance those two almost opposing forces. Well, I think if you can, if you give the opportunity and offering, um, some people will gravitate more to being more social and playing a little bit and other people will want to play more and, and work out more and, and do less of the social aspect. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, it, it all again comes down to, it's the same thing we're trying to achieve. We want people to feel like they want to be there it's an enjoyable space to be in, whether they're playing squash, sitting in the bar, uh, working out in our open space, uh, talking to someone stringing a racket, you know, um, whatever that may be. And we want them to feel feel that sense of it's it's somewhere they want to want to be for five minutes or for two hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like we'd like people to pop in on their way past, come say yeah. hi and just pop in and then head out again. And you know, it can be, it can be that transient and quick, but it's just, they're part of that community. I agree with you, Peter. Like, I think that, that we obviously were catering to New York city folks. So it's very different from our own experiences growing up. And so I think we're trying to achieve, you know, a connection with each person, whether that connection is our front desk manager, Cody, 
welcoming somebody into our space and it's, you know, just one minute check-in, for example, all of us are very clear on our goals um, within that space is to connect. Um, and so, you know, that person might only get that connection with Cody and, and generally anyone who comes in, all of our team um, from afar will just say, hey, what's going on? Um, or briefly introduce ourselves, or alternatively, you have the person who wants to come and hang and who wants to spend that extra time. Yeah. Um, but either way, I think that um, we achieve, you know, to your original question, like we achieve that sense of community, whether it's like a one minute interaction or if it's longer. Yeah. yeah. We also want to maintain that size of facility mm, um, interesting. in terms of four courts and then have the the community of of people who are there delivering the products um and right now that's um the people that just mentioned um and then in the future it'll be other people but they'll be able to interact in that way with the amount of people that are coming in mm -hmm. i think for us it's it's maintaining that 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 constantly interaction constant interaction with with our um the players who come in and members of our community. I think that's, that's the really important part that I'm starting to really notice and feel uh, that both gives me energy because I spend a lot of time there coaching and being there. It gives me a lot of energy if I can uh, make those connections happen on a regular basis. Right. And then I think other people feel that as well and want to be there because they, they understand that that's what this is about, but we can only do that. I think if the, if the size of the each, each facility is roughly Internet. roughly the size that we want it to be. Yeah, yeah, and not not have it be you know eighteen courts or something where where it's just too it's too big. Not for us. Yeah. Not for the type of environment we're yeah we're after. There's a place for that, and you know New York City is one of those places that could could easily handle eighteen court complex and all the other small complexes around because there are so many people. Um, I thought I completely believe that. Um, but for us, it's very much about maintaining that size and form so that we can really touch everyone and, and have that, that, that interaction. That's kind of creepy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I second that for sure. I mean, I, 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 you know, the way your dad sort of got involved with the, the club in Scotland, like, you know, in a way you've just created this club. So you have a place for Bodhi to, to, to do his thing, right? This is all about Bodhi, right? <laughs> Bodhi who comes once a week because he's yeah. obsessed with the soccer program. Um, Bodhi, yeah, no, it's super fun when Bodhi's in the space. But you know, the, this is going to sound cheesy, but we have like we have sixty kids. You know, wow. it's not it's not just Bodhi. I'm not saying the number of them. I just mean more that like these are our kids. Like we've lived with a lot of these kids when yeah. COVID hit. Summer camps, obviously went down the drain and um, we had to think faster on our feet before we went bankrupt. <laughs> right. And um, we found this really, really cool house in Connecticut that we um, created a wonderful relationship with the owners. Um, it's a house to rent that's large, that's uh, stones throw from a big barn that houses two squash courts. And so we transitioned to spend all of our summers there, the last two summers uh, coming up to spring break in March for two weeks. And we literally live with teenagers, Jim and Bodhi. Wow. So <laughs> Bodhi comes home with all sorts of colorful language. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
but anyways and new choices of music it, yeah exactly yeah. oh my gosh it kills me like what happened to classic rock and reggae um but uh <laughs> yeah so like a lot of these kids that come into that are coming every day for after school program like we've lived with many of these kids so wow. it's it's a very intimate experience that yeah. we're after Peter, I think you bring up such a good point with regards to our model and its size in order to be able to maintain that type of relationship um, with the players. Right. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. You've really, you know, they become part of your family and, and totally. aren't clients, but they're, they're friends and you're close with the parents and the siblings and the whole, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irving, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, has spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll.